0: Welcome to another episode of, if you want to call it Mosaic Meets, part of our Mosaic Meets series, it's part of our PETA Spotlight series, Um, but you know, this this is kind of a a joint collaboration between a bunch of different folks. Um, My name is Chris Yang, my pronouns are he, him, his, I'm the director of the Mosaic Cross Cultural Center and the current chair of the PETA Task Force. So today we have a very special episode because we're bringing to you... um, the Capitan Alliance um, uh, organization um, and we have a few representatives here um, and they just wanted to kind of share a little bit about what's going on right now um, in the Philippines and talk a little bit about um, the Philippinex identity and, um, you know, just just a little bit about here and there. Um, so um, we're going to have a cool discussion today, but um, I was hoping somebody from Capitan could uh, introduce themselves and talk a little bit about what KA is.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks, everyone, and thanks, Mosaic and Mosaic Task Force for giving us this platform. So, uh, K or Kapitan Alliance is a national alliance of Filipino youth and student organizations dedicated to serving our communities here locally in the U.S. Um, and also the marginalized communities in the Philippines. We have three points of three points of unity: um, ed- educate, unite, act. Um, educating in the sense of like being able to Teach and like talk about our the roots of our history, our our culture, kind of all of the things um, that we don't typically get to learn in schools, or we'd have to take an ethnic studies class, and even even beyond that, um, and really pertaining to like you know the struggles of the Filipino people, and then being able to unite and get like lots of organizations to join our alliance, um, because knowing that collective power can make concrete changes, and then from that unity, um, you know being able to take action. Um, that's a really important point. Uh, as an alliance, we're kind of we are all over the U.S. on um, lots of uh, different Filipino student orgs across the West Coast, across the East Coast, um, in the Midwest, even in like the Southern area. Are you know we have Cubaton Alliance, and so yeah, our team right here we're Cubaton Alliance members that are based on the SJC campus. Um, yeah, me uh, included, and um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, or maybe I don't, I don't remember if I just introduced myself, but I'm Matthew, I'm an incoming sixth year for San Jose State, I'm also a software engineering major. And then I'll pass it on to, um, to to my other homies to introduce themselves.
2: Hi, I'm Jessica, I'm also a San Jose State student. I'm a nutritional science and dietetics major. Um, I'll be graduating this year. I'm also a part of and
3: Hey everyone, my name is Tyrell. Tyrell. Pronouns he, him, his. I'm a rising fourth year economics major. And uh, yeah, I'm with Capitan Alliance and also uh, the Northern California Philippine American Student Alliance.
4: It's good to have all of you here. What's up everybody? My name is Jazz. I'm a fourth year um, studying design and I'm also with Mosaic and Kapataan Alliance, and we're here to talk about the anti-terror law and you know what's going on in the Philippines right now. There's a lot to go over, but we want to introduce some background information, some context, so that you know everyone understands why it's so important that we're familiar with what's going on. So, uh, to get us started, we're gonna talk about who is Duterte and um, his presidency and the effect on the Philippines it's had so far. He's going into his fourth year, right? On a six-year term?
2: Yes. Yeah, so Duterte was um, elected in 2016. Um, he's the 16th president,
4: and he's the oldest one to have been elected as president. Yeah, and since his presidency, you know, there's been a lot of extrajudicial du- judicial you know, a lot of loopholes that he's been jumping through, um, when it comes to him and the Filipino people.
0: So, so, um, as somebody who's not familiar at all with, um, Philippines, um, political scenes, can you explain to me a little bit about, like, how, how, one, how presidents are elected in the Philippines, and then two, like, um, when, uh, Duterte was elected, like, was, was he like was it controversial at all or like did it like has this been an evolution of his presidency like how do we get to this point
1: um so uh you know so duterte was elected in 2016 um uh like june 30th 2016 i think and at, at, at the time when he was running for presidency he was kind of running on a populist platform um you know he a lot of his uh his uh, promises to the Filipino people um, were, were trying to, like, you know, uh, address, like, the drug issue, trying to, um, uh, eat, eat, like, raise uh, attention to the issues of Lumad. He, he was kind of, like, trying to champion, like, the issues of, like, of, of the the people. Um, and so he was actually uh, really popular when he was running. Um but it's also to note that there's been a very long history in the Philippines of like presidencies who've who've come from uh, like a big uh, big bureaucrat class or like landlord class. They're like very wealthy. They have lots of land. They have lots of power. Um, like basically on the less than one percent very top of the Philippines. When we, you know, in terms of like social status, and in Duterte. I mean, not that he was like, he was like very poor, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't at that level of like being a major like landlord. So there were a lot of people that were actually really hoping that, you know, for Duterte to come into office that there'd be uh, kind of some changes. Um, But then as we can kind of see, and we'll talk about it um, a bit, um, he kind of quickly went back on everything that he would said he'd do. Um, He enacted, he had like, a very, very brutal and bloody um, drug war. Um, there was like over 30,000 people that were killed. Um, he's, he's yeah, he's basically gone back on everything he said. So he's repeating history again of being a president who really doesn't care about the people.
3: Yeah. yeah and so, and, like, oh, God.
1: Oh, no, no, go, go, go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, like, to, to stem off of what Jess was saying earlier, like, um, Throughout his administration, like, you know, extra jur- juridical killings and, like, human rights violations have been, like, very frequent, you know, through the drug war. Um, people being marked as drug users or drug sellers. And um, and, and these are just under, like, kind of, like, these pretenses really have no, like, evidence whatsoever. And, like, they can just, like, um, commit these human rights violations and, like, extra juridical killings without, like... You know due process, and also like um, there's a student. Um, we were actually doing an event on this in the mosaic, and it was uh, it was a film screening, and um, we were collecting funds for this uh, Chinese human rights um, indigenous human rights activist within the Philippines. His name was Brandon Lee, and that was going on in like August and September, and um, from what I remember, and um, the government deemed him as like a threat, uh, Brandon Lee. He he attended SFSU and um, they red tagged him and then the administration had shot him and then he was admitted to the hospital. But even then he was like undergoing like a massive amount of surveillance from like the government. Um, like outside of this hospital, you would see like people who were just trying to like threaten his life, like just waiting like outside the hospital. Um, and that was like one example of out of many.
1: So yeah, there'd be like po- police and military that would want to like check in on him supposedly. So, um, but luckily there were like you know uh, his there were like there were people there to make sure that no one unauthorized was coming by. But yeah,
4: yeah, uh, and uh, Kava Kava actually um, we did a movie screening slash fundraiser for Brandon Lee. That was one of our programs we did before you know, COVID and everything 2020 BC before COVID. But, uh, and we watched Lee Wai, right? That was a movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was Lee Wai. Yeah. Yeah,
4: Liwai. And that also, you know... Um, also contextualizes a lot of Philippine history, you know, before Duterte and how the state of the Philippines was and what a lot of our parents and ancestors um, grew up with, with uh, the Marcos regime and with that, you know, the some censorship in the Philippines and like suppression of human rights. So this this is an ongoing thing. <laughs> um, but definitely with the election of Duterte, um, it's enabled him to carry out more killings and militarization of the police. And yeah, so um, there's also another case we wanted to talk about um, that recently came up, you know, with Brandon Lee, that was, I don't know, just hearing about this case and being having it be so close to home because Brandon Lee is um he grew up in the Bay Area, right?
1: Yeah, he, he was. He liked the Golden yeah. State Warriors.
4: <laughs> yeah, he was a Warriors fan. Um y'all did y'all know him personally or, you know, you heard of him and um his contributions, right, to nonprofits and different works?
1: Um yeah, I mean I didn't I didn't know him personally, but he's always been a a really he's been a member of like the movement for a really long time movement for you know for the philippines for like mm-hmm. uh, national democracy and um yeah i think i have a couple of friends who when they've gone on exposure trips to the philippines they were able to meet with brandon um in the philippines cuz he he basically moved to live to the he moved to the philippines to like continue um you know his advocacy work to continue his uh human yeah to defend like indigenous peoples and that's why he was he was shot because um a lot of indigenous people they live on on land that a lot of uh, the state forces and the government want to take because there's a lot of minerals and yeah, they just want to take all their land and so yeah and brandon lee in championing the rights of like indigenous people and their right to land became a target of uh of the state and they tried to assassinate him yeah, and it's, I, I think it, it, we you know, bringing up like uh, Brandon Lee and like the militarization and the the targeting, because then we talk about the anti-terror law, um, you know, knowing that there's been lots of ongoing human rights violations in Duterte's administration, um, we're, we're going to get more into it, but basically the anti-terror law institutionalizes and legalizes the, the military and like the police to conduct um human rights violations. I mean, they they say that it's to fight terrorism, but knowing that they have a really bad track record of respecting the human rights of people, um, it's more than likely gonna be used to, you know, facilitate um, just violence on people. Yeah, but there's also also been just a really long history of like censorship in the Philippines too. Um, Like Duterte, uh, he's been commonly referred are commonly compared to Marcos, um, Ferdinand Marcos, who is um, the pre- uh, one of the presidents in the Philippines who enacted, enacted martial law. Um, and Marcos, during his time, he basically silenced and controlled like all of the media and definitely was targeting a lot of activists. Yeah, and then there's been all, um, even since then there's been a lot of different cases of censorship in the Philippines.
4: Yeah, and, um... You know, with the a big a big part of that censorship was the shutdown of ABS-CBN, which is you know I grew up um, with my grandma. um, She still lives with me, and um, I always I would always see ABS-CBN on TV. (laughs) Like she'd be watching TFC, the Filipino channel, and then she'd get her news from ABS-CBN. You know, before. She had her facebook account before we set that up for her that was her news source and so around what was it it was may 5th um the philippines um is the, i mean ABS-CBN is their largest media network and so they went off air um because they're I think the NTC the National Telecommunications Commission they issued a cease and desist order against them because they had to re- renew a a permit I believe um so yeah their their last franchise was approved for 25 years in like 1995 and was supposed to expire this year so Um, they've been trying to get this renewal, um, since like 2014 and the government hasn't approved it. And so they ended up just shutting down ABS-CBN. And I don't think that's, you know, an excuse to shut down a, one of the biggest broadcasting networks in the Philippines, you know, especially in the middle of a pandemic, this was in like May, like early May, um. So yeah, I just I was really shocked when that happened. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure you, I'm I mean personally, you know, I haven't experienced or, you know, I'm not in the Philippines to really see like where else I would get my news sources from. But yeah, it's definitely affected a lot of people whose like main news news source that was before.
1: Yeah. And even in in this, you know, the shutdown of ABS-CBN, this is also um, during the time still of COVID. And the COVID-19 situation in the Philippines is actually completely terrible, and it still is terrible. Um, They actually have the highest cases of COVID-19 in all of Southeast Asia. Um, And, you know, really when the the COVID-19 pandemic, the Duterte's administration wasn't able to Adequately respond to the crisis. A lot of the Filipino people were um, having calls for like free mass testing, um, for being able to distribute PPEs, like relief for a lot of workers. Um, you know, because in the Philippines, especially in the urban areas, it's incredibly like um, crowded and congested. Traffic is like really bad. There's a lot of people that are that just kind of live in the areas, and even in the the um, the more poor areas are like, or some of the slums where a lot of the urban poor live, you know, a lot of them, there's just a a lot of them and there aren't any uh, really protections or services um, that is accessible to them for them to get like, you know, basic medical care. Um, And then even even in like the rural areas, there's a lot of uh, Filipinos who are too poor to actually go to hospitals or the hospitals are too far away so just the um, access to like decent healthcare is not something that's available to really anyone um, except those with like some amount of money. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of people were rightfully angry um, at, the, at, um, not, uh, at Duterte's uh, response. Instead of being able to provide all of the things, he decided to have a very militarized lockdown in Manila So he kind of like locked people from entering and leaving and then he was using like the military and the police as a way to kind of like enforce stay-at-home orders um and there's still like a lot of people that like had to uh you know similar to here in the us there's a lot of people that still had to like go to work there's still uh um a lot of people that you know need to get by but there was uh there 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 was there was nothing in any in, in any way like that you know there was no stimulus package for like the filipino people so um yeah basically a lot it it, rather than 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 actually addressing it um it was more of a pretext it was more of a way to like um uh have his his like military and police kind of all over the all over in like the urban areas and like i don't know facilitating terror on people there there have been like uh numerous instances where um people were, were getting detained for like for Um, just like, just for being like out or not even trying to be like out and about, but, uh, um, yeah, basically rather than, um, truly responding to like the crisis, um, it was met with a lot of like military and we can kind of see that in history. That's like, that has a tendency towards like fascist governments. Yeah. And so, yeah, like even the, when the shutdown of ABS-CBN happened, um there was a lot of people worried because um, COVID happened and there was a military, there was a very heavily militarized response. Um, There's like suppression of the media. And then now um, with the anti-terror law, um, the anti-terror law, it was brought into the, uh, um, the, the office in, in June, like the beginning of June. And a lot of people saw this as just a rise towards like de facto martial law um Duterte kind of has everything in power he has all of the military he's been able to shut down the media or the media to like the media is basically on his side and and then now there's a there's a bill or or now it's now it's a law because it was passed it was signed in the beginning of this month that can that basically uh rather than fighting terrorism it will like breed terror yeah and we can we can talk more actually about like We should probably talk right now about the definitions of like or what exactly is the anti-terror law yeah but it's basically a law that uh makes it very easy to um to vilify and like target anyone without like concrete um evidence of them being as a being of being a terrorist
3: so yeah the um the anti-terror law was like was something that was like recently passed actually throughout um it, it was like looking to be approved throughout, like, the levels of government throughout, like, June. And then they, they like, finally signed it into law on, um, I believe it was the 17th. Yeah, the 17th. So, and then there's, there's like, um, you know, um, basically what this law will do. It There's, within the anti-terrorism law, there's, like, a broad and vague definition of what the term terrorism is. But um, within that definition, like, because it's so broad, it, it and it can like mark any form of dissent as like terrorism and um, the administration can like, you know, red tag these like organizations and stuff like, um, and these activists, um, it it basically like violates like basic constitutional rights. Like people can be surveilled. Like the state has the power to define who a terrorist is. And then it kind of like removes like safeguards and like accountability uh for the people you know and that that plays into like you know the extrajudicial killings and like the right to like due process and um and also within like this law you know there's um there's the um tech they can appoint like an anti-terrorism council to like oversee the actions of like implementation but you know since you can appoint them there's no like checks and balances so it's just kind of like and also like uh they can deem like a lot of organizations as, like, terrorist organizations.
1: Uh, yeah, it's kind of really whack, because even even before the anti-terror law was passed, there were a lot of, like, civilian offices, things like... Um, uh, where, where a lot of... Um, Duterte would appoint a lot of military, uh, like, officials towards them. Um, so, um, like, I, th- I think even, like, the even the Department of Education or, or, or like offices, like the Department of Education, I don't know, Department of Agriculture, um, like offices that are supposed to like be like, you know, civilian offices, they'd be headed by like military officials. And then, um, so yeah, In in addition to having um like the military kind of all over in power in the government now, there's even this anti-terrorism council that, Duterte will probably bring in his military official friends, and they're the ones that can basically um approve whether or not someone's a terrorist, really just based on like suspicion.
0: So, so just just so I understand a little bit too. Um, so it sounds like part of the anti-terrorism law is that it there's, there's no it doesn't it doesn't do a very good job of defining what it, the state considers terrorism, right? So. Any form of criticism, any form of, um, any form of questioning, anything could be considered dissent, right?
1: Basically, yeah. yeah.
0: So that even 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 to the extent where, if um, like a military officer in the street tells you to do something and you, you say that you don't want to do it, that that in of itself can also be considered dissent.
1: Um, it- it it could be um i mean there are even times where it's not even military officials but it's like police that are like um you know telling the telling e- even like youth like whatever mm-hmm. wax stuff um and they've been like killed and then they'd be framed as like drug pushers so mm-hmm. the actual situation it's even like worse than that it's not even like being framed but like people have already been like um uh dying
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, the the reason I bring it up is because sometimes, you know, when we talk about these things in the United States, people will say, well, that's, that's like, that's, that's a, that's a facetious argument, right? That's never going to happen. But like, part of the Philippine history with Duterte is that it has happened before. So you can't say that this will never happen.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, even like... If if you were to like tweet a meme like that that like about his administration, that could be like marked as like a form of dissent. I know like I, I recently like read um a Twitter thread, which is actually like really scary. Um and um basically like the police had so not you know with like the whole COVID thing going on, like um the police can like use it as an excuse to kind of like interrogate people, right? Um, so then they'll, like, visit houses and stuff. And, you know, people are, like, stuck in their homes and stuff. So they can't, like, really go out because, you know, like, social distancing. Um, but, um, you know, they they went to, like, a family member's house um, kind of, like, looking for, like, an activist. Um, and then framing it in a situation in where they're suspecting someone of having COVID. Um so yeah to kind of like think about that too is like um like we can post memes about like donald trump here in america but like you know if we Mm -hmm. were to like do something like that against duterte and then you know that could potentially be a situation we could get stuck in you know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think i think sometimes you know for for folks who haven't done a lot of critical thinking about it which is totally fine i'm not this is not accusatory um there's not the realization of how important criticism is towards government like criticism is an important part of government because government without criticism will enact laws or policies that don't take care of its people right like they will like governments have a tendency to pass laws and policies um, that are either economically driven or power driven and not necessarily care driven right and criticism exists for folks to be able to say like oh this this actually doesn't provide care for me, right? This law doesn't care for my people or my group of people, my job, my whatever. Um, So criticism is important because that feedback is really the only way that a government knows whether its laws and policies are effective, right? So by not allowing criticism, um, you basically have no way of telling the government, like no effective way of telling the government, like this law like messes us up or this policy doesn't cover us. Yeah, exactly.
4: Um, oh, are you, you know, jazz? Oh uh, yeah, I'm just yeah, same thing. Like exactly, without you know, the people's voice, without any input, there's just suppression, and there's no communication between the people and the government.
3: Yeah, and definitely like just stem off that, you know, you can look at the shutdown of ABS-CBN again. It's like you know, that's, like, the only, like, one of, like, the most trusted news sources within, like, the Philippines, and, like, ABS-CBN, like, that's the only way that Filipinos abroad within the diaspora, um, where they can get their information about, like, the homeland, but now that's, that's kind of, like, shut down, like, you know, um, the work to kind of, like, educate is, like, needed now more than ever, you know, amongst the diaspora,
1: so. Yeah, and I feel like that's even, like, or even in, you know, with the whole, uh, you know, dissent is like kind of really important for like um, society and government as a whole to make sure the government's doing something. Like there's been a lot of activism in the Philippines. I mentioned it earlier how a lot of people were demanding for like mass testing, um, you know, just like an actual response that, that will help the people like be able to survive this crisis. And then in, you know, the face of all this, he shuts down ABS he passes anti-terror law, uh, and it's kind of like he's almost saying, like, you know, I don't want to hear anyone's criticisms about the government. I don't want to hear all your complaints about the the COVID nineteen. And if you are like, you know, you're going I'm gonna call you a terrorist, and then you're gonna get arrested, or I'm gonna surveil you, I'm gonna harass you. Um, yeah, I'll, like in this way to really like shut up like ev- all the all the the criticism against them. And even, like, even now, like, there, like there's a lot of big, uh, like, Filipinos that are all over the world, Filipinos in the diaspora, have been, like, speaking up about it um, a lot. And this anti-terror law, actually, because of how broad the, the, the definition of terrorism, even, like, Filipinos who aren't Filipino citizens and live in, like, you know, in America, in Canada, or the Middle East, you know, outside of the Philippines, they can also be you know, designated as terrorists, they're like, yeah, it's kind of really whack. (laughs) So even, even like, even our discussion right now, just because we're saying, oh, yeah, you know, Duterte's not been able to do his job and all of that stuff. And even though, you know, we're not Philippine citizens, or even if we're not uh, Filipinos, like if Duterte wanted to, he could like accuse us as terrorism through the wall through the law. Yeah. And so this is, definitely it's uh, this, the anti law is something that affects, um, Filipinos all over the world. Um, and it's really going to target, um, really those who've been doing a lot of like, you know, that educational work that Tyler was talking about trying to, you know, teach about what are the issues in, in Philippine society, what is like happening right now. Um, and even, you know, what people are doing about it. And yeah, a lot of the activists, um, that have been, uh, there's already been such a really long history of the government targeting activists, and this will only make it that much easier to to target them and detain them um, without any warrants either. Like you don't, they, they don't need a judge to like um, give them a warrant. Then the anti-terrorism council can basically just arrest whoever.
4: Yeah, and it's really, it's really sad. Um, I recently, before this podcast, you know, we were just all organizing and talking about the documentary, The Nightcrawlers, and I finally watched it. And it was just really heartbreaking um, and powerful just seeing like photojournalists capture what's going on in the Philippines, like what's really going on, what isn't being broadcasted, um, like through their own lenses, And it's like families losing their moms, their brothers and sisters, and through like the violence of the government. So um, yeah, I also watched another, there's another documentary. There's about like three or four, if you look on YouTube, um, if you wanna take a look at those and like educate yourself about what's going on in the Philippines and see it through. Photojournalists and the people living there.
0: So, so let us open it up a little bit too. So, so the four of you are on this podcast, um, and you are all actively working on this. Um, what what has it been like living through this for the four of you? Like, how have you reacted? How have your families reacted? Like, like what's like where are you at right now? Do i want to go
3: first? yeah it was a good <laughs> <worst>. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely been a crazy crazy time <laughs> it has been hella crazy i'm just like trying to process like
4: <laughs> yeah um, and like for me the doc i was talking about i watched uh some of it with my parents and my grandma and you know my grandma was pointing out a lot of similarities to the marcos regime that she lived through except you know now it's, it's being captured, um, and, like, put into documentaries, and, you know, it's a little bit more accessible from, you know, not being in the Philippines, we're in the U.S., but we're still able to see, like, some of the atrocities, and, like, the struggles that people are going through, and it's pretty crazy. (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. I've, I've actually, um, I've had, like, family members who are for, like, the terror law and stuff, because, like, um, I know that there's, like, because a lot of, like, elderly, like, Filipinos, they're all on, like, Facebook and stuff, and um, Duterte has, like, a massive amount of, like, control on that platform, because then there's, like, um, they call it, like, the troll army, where, like, they kind of just, like, create a bunch, like, a bunch of Facebook accounts, and then, like, kind of spread misinformation, so, like, um, I think it, it, like, having to, like, navigate those difficult conversations has been, like, really emotionally taxing but also like um you know I'm lucky enough to like be in a household where like you know my parents don't really um they they aren't for like um like the anti-terror law like it's pretty much like a what Jazz was saying like a de facto martial law like um and when it was like passed like I think like the immediate reaction for me was to like check in like with my like, elders, like, my parents and stuff, because um, they, they've they lived through it. Like, they, they know it, it is, like, the shutdown of ABS-CBN. Like, um, my mother, like, <laughs> uh, she was, like, talking to me about how, like, that's the same thing that happened before, like, Marcos enacted martial law in the Philippines. And, like, um, when it happened again, it, like, she was acting as if it was, like, a prelude to, like, something, you know? And you know how, like... <laughs> you know, how like Filipino parents got like that intuition and stuff. So, but, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, as what Tyrell is saying, like, Duterte having control over the platform, Duterte literally pays people to be Facebook trolls. And so there's a lot of like fake news that's disseminated. Like, I've I've seen my dad read and like, like react to uh, like fake news on Facebook. And so, and and e- even with that, like Facebook is actually um, uh, like the social media that most like Filipinos use. I think it- it's actually one of the only like free ways to get like access to news in the Philippines. Um, so that's why a lot of Filipinos, you know, they have phones and they have like Facebook and they communicate through like Messenger and and all of that thing. And so like you know Duterte knowing that he's really um like put a lot of his efforts into uh, trying to spread all this fake propaganda about his, um, presidency. Yeah. My, my, my family's actually like, they're like pro So when we have conversations in the house, it gets, it gets, uh, <laughs> uh, a very, uh, uh, difficult. Um, but I think, um, like even in this, even in this time, uh, like people still recognize that like, you know, this anti terror law with all of this, uh, dissent, like it's still like, it's still wrong. Like, it completely violates so many of the things in the Constitution. So there's even people who are like, who, who have who've been like pro Duterte, but are like starting to see like, whoa, 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 what's happening? This is almost like martial law is what like, you know, Tyrell and like Jazz were saying and their families seeing those parallels. Yeah, I feel like this moment has been a, a time, um, not just like COVID-19, but kind of like politi- politicizing like everyone around the world. But like, you know, especially with the anti-terror law, there's a lot of Filipinos. There's a lot of that have been, like, like, uh, like e- every everybody, everybody's kind of like talking about. It. Everybody like knows something about it. Even like people that aren't like super like political, but like everybody is like concerned about it now. And so there's this, uh, yeah, just across the world, Filipinos are like wanting. Um, concern for their 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 safety, and especially for, um, you know, all of the, our our family that's back home in the Philippines as well. Because even though while many of us have migrated, we still have lots of families back home. So it's been, it's been a very turbulent time. There's like lots of fear, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of, at least for me, I, I, I see like that there's kind of actually a lot of hope, because a lot of people, are so agitated in this time and and do want to plug in so it's like oh yeah this movement's you know it's it's building um there's like a saying where you know the the people's movement it like it's only strengthened even more by like by like fascism by repression because more and more the people will see that that you know the government is like not on their side and is being super whack <laughs>
2: Yeah, with my family, I have the same issue that my parents were super pro-deterte and they were like, yeah, drugs are bad. Just kill all of them. And, but now when, as soon as they heard about the terror law, they were like, "They look, he had like a PTSD thing, like, a, oh, that sounds so familiar. And it's like seeing my parents go through it. And but then whenever we talk about it, they're always telling me like, why are you so worried about what's happening in the Philippines? Like we live in America now. And it's like a lot of Filipinos are very disconnected from... You know their roots and they don't realize that you know but it may not be directly affecting us but it's defecting it's like affecting our family and where we came from and i think that's very hard for a lot of diasporate filipinos to understand so yeah
1: we gotta unpackage um, that colonization from the spanish <laughs> over 300
0: years <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i think i think also like because i mean again this is my understanding as somebody who's not filipinx identified um, because there's no sort of structure around the consequences of being labeled a terror terrorist, um, this could impact your future, right? If you get labeled, or if your family gets labeled with the terrorism label, then like this could this could prevent you from ever going back to the Philippines, or this could prevent you from ever interacting with the Philippines, uh, uh, you know, if this persists, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a thing, you know, if they like. If they deem you as a terrorist, and if you come back to the Philippines, they could just arrest you. And they have even tried to, in, in the past, like, like Filipinos abroad, like get like their host country to like deport them. I think this happened in like Taiwan, but there was like a, there was like a Filipino caregiver, and she was she had lots of, um, uh, I don't know, criticism for like Duterte, and so I think um, like the. I think Philippine authority there wanted to like, um, or or basically the Philippine, like the Philippine government kind of like wanted Taiwan to deport that Filipino caregiver. It's like telling an entire, like, you know, nation's like government or whatever, Hey, you know, you got, you got to do this because this person was like, you know, being mean to me and saying all these things that are supposedly not true, but in actuality are true. And then, yeah, so it's not, it's, it's, it's a, um, It's definitely could make it easier to uh, like still target overseas Filipinos, yeah. And I think that's also kind of like what what like a a, a scary part is for a lot of like in a diaspora Filipinos. Like this is kind of like you know the wake up call. Even maybe maybe potentially even like worse than martial law because it's not just Filipinos in the homeland, but it's like Filipinos all over. And like now everyone has to kind of really think about like how is this going to affect our families, how's this is going to affect even our student works.
0: Those, those are your chickens? chickens? Yeah, those are
4: my yeah. chickens. <laughs> 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 I, I thought that was Sweet. like your, your sibling or something.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <first>. Good morning. <laughs> Good
4: morning, y'all. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so yeah i mean um you know wanting to just bring up two real quickly that like there are like there are a lot of parallels to what's going on the philippines with other places too you know significantly you know what's going on in hong kong um and china trying to basically enact like you know extradition control over over hong kong which you know, has that's a, its own dicey issue. If you want to look into it, look into it, please. Um, but like bad stuff's happening in Taiwan right or in Hong Kong right now. And then also for those, I mean, if you if you have no relations with the Philippines whatsoever, like, but you live in the United States, I mean, you could just see what's going on in Portland, as like you know, this is spilling over. You know, there's this idea that that a leader can just militarize their their own land and and basically invade their own land. And take over like pieces of their land and and the people who live there, and say that they have control over what like the people in that land do is like this is like self colonization you know it's and, and we're we're seeing that here in the United States too, and and imagine you know what's going on in Portland but then what's going on in the Philippines is that that's happening but then there's no there's no way to fight it right like like here in the United States like you know port like Oregon is suing the federal government. You know, we have we have organizations like the ACLU who are offering like free legal defense. You know, we have like the mayor of Portland who's like speaking out like to the press. Like in the Philippines, there's none of that. Like people can't publicly say this is messed up.
1: And maybe to just yeah, well, while the anti-terror law does like criminalize a lot of dissent, this is actually a time where a lot of like organizations and stuff have even more been like super vocal like yeah really actually what is the best like defense for us in this time as a community as like filipinos as people of the world is like raising our voices more than ever and being you know more united in our in our efforts to uh like call out duterte to uh yeah. you know bring people doing to get people to join organizations and like do like you know do all the work on the ground that's needed um like like there's been a lot of youth, um, I'm, I'm gonna specifically reference Kapatan Party List, which is a party list in the Philippines for like the youth sector. And they've been filing petitions. Uh, there's been so many organizations actually that have been filing petitions to Young. Um, there's a lot of people that have, even in the face of this time, been like protesting, been like, like raising their voices. Um, yeah, so really, Really, you know, while, while the government's not on their side, and there's not, there's only a limited scope of what we, what the like of the how we can get the government to help us, while they're actively working against us. Um, this is really the time when the people are relying on each other more to uh, to act to fight back.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely, and like to to like bounce off that. Like
3: I was recently actually reading an article on. Um, Um, on Rappler, one of the most (laughs) trusted news sources, Philippine media. Um, So, (laughs) and they were saying like how, um, so Duterte has this thing called the State of the Nation Address, right? And basically he, um, he basically makes a report saying how the Philippines is doing. And like, um, it was recently, um, there was recently a ban to um, perform protests actually in Quezon City and um yeah there's um it's definitely harder to like um you know express dissent abroad but I'd say like you know um like Matt was saying, you know, as diasporic folks and stuff we we definitely it, it just definitely like makes us grow stronger. So
0: so so let me ask you about actions then. So folks are listening to this, they're charged, they're excited, they want to join an action or movement. What are some things that folks can do
3: so i was just talking about sona so which is like the state of the nation address like where duterte makes like a makes a report about like the philippines but then you know the people you know we obviously we obviously see all the stuff that's going on and we obviously don't agree that the philippines is doing well so um we're actually having on monday um a protest at the sf philippine consulate um to you know and it's going to be like a caravan style but like you know it's a kind of like say like you know we we see what you're doing and we don't approve of what you're doing so y'all can like roll out to that one as well so peace sona
1: is actually something that happens like also globally filipinos across the world mm-hmm. um and so uh people sona is actually happening on you know title said monday so july 27 and so yeah. there's a lot of actions that are happening all over the i mean all over in the philippines but all that are also going to happen all over here in the states in like the pacific northwest um in the in like new york area in the dc area um norcal we got something going on in sf socal yeah kind of kind of all over and this is like one of those you know we talk about unity and like like action this is one of those times where you know, Filipino people, Filipino youth can really express their unity and come out, um, and like make our voices heard. Um, uh, yeah, we're we the in Narcal, the one we're doing in SF. We're trying to have you know the car care event and then like a program right in front of the Philippine consulate because the Philippine consulate is like the representation of the Philippine government here in the states. So this is us, the Filipino basically standing our ground in front yes. of the Philippine government on that's on here in the U.S. I and mean, being like yeah as Terrell said no we're not gonna take any of this this whack-ass stuff happening right now like <laughs> give us justice. <laughs> yeah
3: and also the, there's um, like outside of just actions like there's also like a lot of legislative work being done um, by the Malaya movement which is like another Filipino, um, national organization where, um, so currently the, the U S sends about like, I, be, I believe it's like one point two, 1.2 million. It's like it's, one point. It's,
1: it's like millions. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, I think it's like $1.2 million, like abroad to kind of like fund violence and like weaponry. Um, and, um, you know, as being a part of the diaspora, like, and, children of like immigrants of that of that land right um i I think it's like our duty to kind of like disrupt that so um we we've been like our malay movement has been like um lobbying like politicians and stuff and like they've been kind of like you know trying to get it make it become a bill it's like it's called phra like the philippine human rights act and um you know, we re- we received endorsements from about like I believe thirty representatives all across like the United States to um, enact this as like uh, uh you know en- enact the Philippine right- Human Rights Act to disrupt the money that's being funneled to the Philippines. So, yeah,
1: and this <laughs> legislative campaign, it's not just Malaya as well. It's it's being spearheaded by three organizations. So Malaya Movement is one, of the International Coalition of Human Rights in the Philippines, the U.S. chapter. Um, so I trip us and then come alliance. So as like our, you know, three organizations, it's been a legislative campaign that we've been uh, trying to like push for a while now, couple Alliance actually joined onto the like legislative steering committee earlier this year. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, the, like this whole campaign is really um, as a part of a part of like the larger um, efforts to you know stop the killings, stop human rights violations, um, accountability for like the government, and stopping our U.S. tax dollars going towards you know the killings that are happening. And um, so yeah, this this uh, larger legislative effort effort is one way that the international community, Filipinos and non-Filipinos, can really um, plug in in a very concrete way. Um, you know, beyond just like speaking our voices, but also um, uh, taking making our legislators like act on our demands and to you know cut that uh, that U.S. military aid support. I mean, put like um, uh, oversight so that we can ensure that um you know human right human rights kind of human rights aren't being violated. That there's accountability for a lot of the state forces in the Philippines that have been like conducting those violations. And so, yeah, all all, all of that, Um, even here on uh, SJSU campus, we're actually trying to uh, um, have a campaign as well for the Philippine Human Rights Act. The Philippine Human Rights Act, it targets like, you know, a lot of legislators in like Senate and Congress or, and, um, but it's also, you know, not just, it's part of a bigger grassroots uh, movement and to really build like the people's support. So we're even like, um, you know, calling on like Filipino youth and students to even engage like, you know, their student councils or their their city councils um, to make resolutions to endorse the Philippine Human Rights Act. So that, um, you know, when, when we bring when we when the bill is introduced to like uh, uh, US, U.S. legislative stuff, then like, you know, we can already point that there's people all across the US that like that want this to happen. But, yeah, on SJSU, we're trying to pass Um, we, we want to work, um, with organizations and individuals on campus to, um, push our associated students to endorse the Philippine Human Rights Act, and it's kind of, like, a new, new project for us, so. Yeah, for us, but it's, it's
3: actually been happening on, like, other campuses as well. I know, like, UCLA and, uh, um, CSU Northridge had recently received an endorsement from their school, um, regarding, like, the PHRA, so.
0: Did you mention online like petition or something, um, Toral? Did did you did you mention a? Sorry, I, I I thought I heard that, but I might have not. <laughs> uh,
3: it's it's not necessarily a petition, but more so like a statement that like organizations um, who stand in solidarity with this issue can sign
0: on. Cool. Um, so we'll we'll put yeah. a link to that in the show notes. So so awesome. look look for a link in the description. And then also there Jack, is also
1: oh, oh. there is also a petition to like junk the Terrell in the Philippines. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of different ways people can really find oh, cool. in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we'll, we'll
0: definitely put a link there too. And then Jazzy had mentioned um, the Nightcrawlers documentary. Um, are there other, like for folks who just need like education, like what, like are there documentaries folks can watch? Like what can folks do to educate themselves?
4: Um. So yeah, the Nightcrawlers is free on YouTube and that was a National Geographic documentary. It's about 40 minutes long. So that was one we recommended. Um, If you have Showtime, you can watch The Kingmaker, that's about Imelda Marcos and the Marcos regime. And I think there's another documentary I watched with my parents um, under PBS, uh, the Frontline series, and that also talked about Duterte and the drug war, too. So all of those are really good documentaries, really informational. And, um, I know on Spotify there's also a podcast, um, I think it's under, under Escape from Plan A, so that's a podcast I listen to, um, let me see, it's about, it's about like an hour and ten minutes, so it's pretty lengthy, but they go in depth and talk about like the U.S. relations with the Philippines, how Mm -hmm. the U.S. has been sending over, um, has been militarizing the Philippines, like sending over weapons and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's an hour, um, but definitely something to listen to, something to inform yourself with. And, yeah, um, definitely follow Kapataan um, Alliance on Instagram. We have our SDSU account. We plug that, and we're going to try and start posting more on our story and our, our feed. Um, to call people to action and
1: you know keep everybody informed. Yeah, definitely hit us up if anyone wants to get involved. At K A B A T A A N A L L I A N C E Kavatan Alliance. I'd never
0: be able to spell that fast on. dot J C. We'll put a link in the notes for sure. Okay, yeah. spelling B.
4: king. <laughs> Yer. <laughs>
0: cool and maybe
1: maybe just to kind of like kind of like you know wrap up i think we were talking a lot about the anti-terror law and that you know there's a lot of fear in the people and there's you know major repercussions for like filipinos overseas and like everywhere and you know it's valid to have all of these fears and all of these concerns but i think more importantly like that we this is the time more than ever that we can't let that fear overpower our desire for like societal change our desire for action so I think this is really where we can you know channel our fears whatever into like into action let's use that action um, let's use that anger towards uh, you know kicking Duterte out of office being able to end US uh, military aid to the Philippines being able to stop the killings this is this this is really the time where we can like like plug in. And Mm -hmm. so rather than all this fear, I feel feel a lot more hope more than like anything, you know, in like Star Wars and, you know, even like, you know, a new hope and kind of thing, even though (laughs) the empire is like so strong or whatever, you know, there's that seed and like this, you know, that the, the Philippine government can be as fascist, can have so much repression, but there's always going to be that seed of like hope of like of resistance in the people. Yes. And you know, as long as that's there, we're we're gonna be Mm. able to make changes.
4: Yes, snaps, snaps, snaps. snaps, You know, I recently I recently watched Hamilton, and one of the lyrics was he was talking about a legacy. Like, what is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden that you can't see. Like, damn, that's that's so true. And that's like what I feel like everybody's doing.
1: Yeah, what we're here to do. Yeah, we just junk this tarot last that you know our or children or grandchildren or, or or just, you know, everyone that's going to come after us. Like they don't have to live in this society of like where they, they feel they're in fear of the government or a government that is outwardly fascist that is killing its people. You know, we want them to live in a society that is truly free that there's justice and, you know, peace and harmony, all that. So let's plant those seeds. Yeah. Gardeners. (laughs)
4: Yeah, we really we out here cultivating, you know, growth and knowledge, mm-hmm. and yeah. just really just trying to take action.
0: Cool. Well, thank thank you everybody for joining us today. I think that's a great note to end on. So, um any last plugs? Any last words before we we sign off? I think we would. Oh, 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 go go ahead. go no, go! Ahead. I'm just gonna go.
1: reiterate support the <laughs> Filipino rights <Rice laughs> account. <campaign>. Yeah. <laughs>
0: cool so um yeah uh keep your eye out for for capitan and and um you know follow on are links in the show notes for everything that was mentioned so uh thank you all for listening to another episode of whatever this is mosaic meets a, a Peter spotlight that's gonna count for everything so thank you hey, thank, thank you, you everyone. thanks everyone thank you.